0: It was Larry Norman who coined the lyrics, John and Paul said all you need is love, and then they broke up. How do you maintain a love without it waxing and waning? Let's talk about that next on Truth For Today. Anyone who's been married for any length of time will tell you that your love for your spouse can grow cold at times. It can heat up and then grow cold again. So how do you maintain the heat? How do you maintain that affection of love? Well, here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, Jesus tells the church how to do so. Fighting for the affections is the title of our message today. A final look at our series called Finding Pleasure in God. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, let's catch up with Pastor Phil Howard and today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
1: He critiques Smyrna. Smyrna, he never complains against. They were a suffering church. Christ usually has little complaints about people in the midst of suffering for him. He usually commends them, and he did Smyrna. We come to Pergamum, and uh, he takes on this church, and he says, you bought into the false teaching of Balaam, And now you as a church are in the midst of idolatry and immorality. Uh, Morals have fallen in that church and there's idolatry going on and my people are being seduced. He goes to Thyatira and at Thyatira there was some woman teacher that was unleashed on these people. And she was uh, uh, wrong of course. She led them into immorality and idolatry. So to imagine that you had a woman pastor maybe or the woman spokesman at Thyatira had enough influence to get them to go into an immoral lifestyle and begin to bow before idols. It, it just doesn't seem possible, but it was. And what's scary is many prophetic students make these churches a picture of the whole church age, kind of a chronology. Who knows? Then, he goes on to Sardis. And Sardis is a scary church to me because they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. They had a great reputation, but their present reality is they were dead. And I've lived through this. I've even seen people say that about Valley. Oh, we remember the prayer meetings. Yeah. Do you still attend any? We remember. Oh, it was so great. Yeah. And we got a name. And many a church is riding on some reputation name. And they advertise all the great things. And that's wonderful. God gets the credit. But too often times, reputation has become devoid of present reality. And we're just taunting the name. You know, I love the seminary I went to because I loved Lewis Chafer. I loved his teacher. I loved the men that he shaped that helped shape me in San Francisco. But you know what? Every seminary fights to keep to the principles on which they were started because the drift is always a present reality. And it's the same with the church people come people go and those who replace those who left we never know if they've got the same heart for God as those who left and pretty soon the whole complexion of a church changes in its spiritual passion he came to Philadelphia and the thing he said about Philadelphia it's why I always claimed it they were unimpressively weak their only virtue was they clung to his word And he said, the only way you're going to stay open is I'll be your doorkeeper. That's the only thing about Philadelphia. You're weak. You have not denied my name. You're clinging to my word. And I'm going to keep the door open. What an amazing little church. Then he comes to the seventh. And that I want us to read. Look at this. As you look at Revelation 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write this angel is either a spirit being or some make him a pastor Uh, it's debated these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot I wish you were either one or the other So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I understand this to be the millennial Davidic throne. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches Christ's appraisal of this church what is he saying well to take your temperature is the first thing the nurse always does right what's your temperature and it's an interesting thing you're not cold You're not hot. You're lukewarm. Now the debate, and there's many views on what these temperatures represent. We know that this word for hot is the word for zealous. You're boiling. You're burning for me. And it's a commendable thing. He used it in Acts 18. He used it in Romans 12. My people ought to be having a boil, a zeal, a passion for me. And so obviously the best state is to be hot. The burning. The issue has been if Christ said I wish you were cold or hot, what could this cold state be? There's many views. The one I think I would embrace the most is I think the cold meant they were unsaved. I just assume you'd be in an unsaved category outside of the church and be told you need God that you need to come to know him, but instead you're in the church and you think the condition you're in is what Christianity is. You don't even know God. I'd rather you be someone we could evangelize. I'd rather you be someone that we bring Christ to because you're frozen. You don't even know me. And what's very concerning to me is what does lukewarmness mean? Now this town was famous for three things. They weren't really famous for but I'll tell you three things. They made an eye salve that was sold in Asia Minor. They put it in little packets some way, and it was a leading uh, supposedly healer of eye problems. They had a great uh, clothing industry there. They knew how to mix different materials in clothing, so they were known for being a clothing manufacturer, and they were known for having a fresh source of water that came over from Hierapolis, Colossy area, and it came and it came out of a boiling spring over there, but by the time it reached Laodicea, it had become lukewarm. It was no longer hot as it came from the spring, nor so cold, and of course, ice in this culture, they didn't know anything about. And so it had that uh, lukewarm taste. Now, what scares me about this, a church that is lukewarm to Jesus Christ, lukewarm in their affections towards him, if this was their permanent state, there's danger of saying, it's probably a church that doesn't know God. It's formal Christianity without God. This one would be total unbelievers, the other is, they're in the church, both are in the church. Can you have a Christianity where there's more people cold in the church and more people lukewarm in the church than there is boiling for God? Well, if you step back from and just look at Christianity, not this local church, just look at Christianity today. Ingersoll did a series of lectures why Moses could not have written the Pentateuch. And he did a whole lecture on the mistakes of Mosaic authorship. Ingersoll. Eventually he was asked to give that lecture again. He said, no, the clergymen have caught the message. They do a better job at showing out what was wrong with Moses than I do. I don't need to give that lecture anymore. Then they went to a lecture, why Christ was mistaken about Moses. For he quoted the first five books, so now Christ must be wrong. We laughed at that a hundred years ago. Today, to find anybody who thinks Moses wrote the first five books of Moses in the church universal, you'd be surprised at how many don't believe it. I went to a seminar on Jesus held at a local seminary in which the man said, We have raised so many doubts as scholars on the verses of the New Testament I'm calling for a a, a quorum to no longer take on the text for we have nothing but shreds now. We doubt every verse of the New Testament. This was a school that trains men to pastor. So there's nothing to critique anymore when you doubt every verse. The church, when you step back, the majority under the umbrella of Christianity from Christ's perspective would say, they don't even know me. And their lukewarmness has a nauseating effect on me. That's why I think lukewarmness is not an inoffensive thing. It makes, it literally in the Greek, I will vomit you up. That is something, if my child came in and says, you so disgust me, I want to vomit you up. Friend, that does not sound like a very good relationship. And it's an emphasis, you are still holding church meetings, but your membership is cold. Your membership is lukewarm. And you're getting ready to be spit out of my mouth. There's a few there that are overcomers. There's a few in this church at Laodicea that really know me. There's a few there that Christ is the burning passion of their heart. We're not talking about a burn for church. We're not talking about a burn for the choir. We're not talking about a burn to get... We're talking about me, Christ, me, what you do to me. You don't... You're cold towards me. You're lukewarm towards me. It's me that's going to vomit you up. Not the church board. Not Valley Bible boy, don't compare us. We're trying to be like him, but he's the head. He has the stethoscope. He knows where our heart, if he is the passion of our heart. Even when we're slumbering, even when we mourn that we've lost it and we want it back. The effect on him is so uh, incredible to me that he wants to spit up and vomit up a church. I, it's very uh, repulsive language. Uh, it's the strongest. And then he goes to them what they thought about themselves. If you'd sent out a questionnaire to this church, by the way, what kind of Christian are you? They would have sent back the questionnaire. We're doing great. Man, we're outstanding. We have become a prosperous church because of the medicine industry in that area. It probably became a resort town because of these waters from Hierapolis. The clothing industry was booming, so the people were working in those industries. We're in an economically prosperous area. Matter of fact, they had a huge earthquake in that area, and the Roman government had to rebuild Colossae and Hierapolis. Laodicea took no money. They had their own resources to rebuild the town. We don't need the help from the Roman government. Very prosperous. So this was a church that uh, was well-to-do, as it were. Wealth on an economic and just physical prosperity. They were highly blessed in that area. But they begin to measure their heart for God by how much money they had in their checkbook. They begin to measure knowing God based on how much you possess materially. They have become materialistic in their evaluation. It's prosperity gospel that says we only know you're blessed if you're driving a big car and you're making lots of money because that's the measure of great spirituality. Brought economics in to make us uh, feel like we really must be great to have all this stuff. What a proud, egotistical way to evaluate our heart. You sure wouldn't have used that in 1939 when we were living through a depression. So he says, when you talk to yourself, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And here is the stunning thing. I don't need a thing. Self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction permeated the attitude of those in this church satisfied as long as I've got a job long as I get to live where I live and drive two cars and long as the money's there I must be okay but they didn't just have that they moved to that criteria and this is their report well Lord I'm doing great I walked into the doctor's office in a $500 uh, Alfani suit. Man, I'm dressing. I'm styling. My shoes are new. Guess what? The x rays say you've got cancer no matter how great your wardrobe is. No matter how much retirement you're going to get. I had a woman tell me this week a man just retired from Chevron at about 55. He put 33 years at Chevron, have a great retirement plan. I'm retiring at 55. The only thing is, he now has terminal cancer. Won't live a year to draw this retirement he'd been dreaming for. It doesn't matter how well dressed or how high you are up and how you can get to the best doctor. If you have the disease, you can die. And so he says, What's your appraisal of yourself? I see, I hear it, I hear your conversations I hear you talking how your retirement is and your prosperity not that that prosperity is wrong but you've moved it over to your spiritual life and you don't miss me if you can have this so you, I'm not even missed as Templeton said you've just well over here has just made you give yourself the wrong evaluation now listen to how he evaluates them you don't realize and that's that's a if that just satur, saturated you don't realize you don't know how you're affecting me i say five things about you christ notice first of all you're wretched the only time that word's used is in Romans 7 where Paul said, Wretched man that I am. They didn't know they were wretched. They were impressed with themselves. They said, no, you're really wretched. The word pitiful is miserable. You're in a miserable condition. Could you be these things and not know it? They were. <laughs> they were. Uh, went on poor. And this is crouching poverty. What an insult to call them poor. You don't know what I make a year. You don't know what's in my 401k. You don't know, buddy, I make some good money. I've got a share in the medicine factory down here for ISAV. Who do you think you are? Wait, who who do you are calling me poor? I'm talking about the inner man. I'm talking about your relationship with me. You're poverty-stricken in that area. Then he goes on to say, you're blind, you don't see me. When you come to love Christ, you come to see him. And according to 2 Corinthians, when you see Christ, the thing you see in him is his glory. His glory. The veils rent, and God shows you the face of Christ, and he shows you the glory. That is the honor, the high value, the great the great prize treasure you see christ but you know why you don't treasure christ you've never seen him for your spiritual eyes have never been open you can't get them open by the eye salve of Laodicea it takes a supernatural operation he has to take the cataracts off your eyes spiritually speaking and he says you're naked Now, when he uses naked in the scriptures, it's usually the righteousness of Christ. And he used that in the parables that they came to the banquet and he wasn't dressed appropriately. Why didn't you dress for this banquet? Well, where do you get the garment? You get it from the man holding the banquet. He gives you a party garment. You folks are spiritually naked before me. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. That's what my stethoscope registers on your health. Well, what should we do about it? Do you have any advice? Yeah, I do. The word counsel is advice. And it's a kind word. Let me give you some, let me give you a tip. Let me give you some advice. Yeah? What is it? Well, I want to say this. You should buy gold from me refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. What is he saying? Gold refined all the way in Scripture usually has divine wealth. Peter says your trials... Are going to produce gold out of you. It's going to be spiritual quality because the dross is taken out. And it has the idea of really uh, spiritual riches that are really pure, uh, that are really uh, uh, true riches instead of material wealth that he said thieves can steal or moths can destroy. This is sure enough the spiritual riches. When he asked them, you need to be clothed, it's all in righteousness. In the book of Revelation, righteousness is not justification by faith, righteousness. It's practice righteousness. And it's the outward-lived righteousness that's a result of you being right with God. You, you need to be clothed in righteous behavior that comes from knowing God. And your eyes, you need somebody to heal your eyes. Now, he said, I want you to do four things if you want to get right with me. And you turn to that in your last page. First of all, you need to know where to shop. You need to buy. You've been living at the mall because you're a prosperous church, but you haven't been hanging out with me. What you need, you can only get from me.